Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be here in early September, reviewing what was a spectacularly successful week. If you are a college football fan inside the state of Kansas, we welcome you back to the Keeper of the Games podcast. This is episode number 102. We welcome you in on all of our platforms, cogsports.com, at cogpod on Twitter, cogpod.podomatic.com. The videos on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games, and also on YouTube. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Tommy Castor. Thomas, uh, I know that tonight you actually got on schedule. Your kid went down on time tonight, going to bed. Uh, what was the game plan? How did you break it down? And did you execute as well as the Wildcats, Jayhawks, and Chiefs did this past weekend? And we'll get to all of them in that order in just a moment. Yeah, well, good to see you first off. And, and yes, everything was very routine, very normal. Uh, he was very cooperative, which was solid. It, it really comes down to how the nap went during the day. And okay. for those of you who are listening, who are parents out there, like I get updates from my wife while I'm at work during the day. And she'll be like, yeah, he's napped for an hour. He's napped for two hours, whatever it is. So I can kind of calculate what time bedtime is. And uh, today it worked out perfectly. And so here we are recording on time ready to go, ready to roll, and there's a lot to get to. Oh, there is a lot to get to, and a lot of very, very positive news. There's a lot of days where I will say, okay, if you're a Shocker fan, if you're a Wildcat fan, Jayhawk fan, you may want to just skip this segment because we don't have anything positive to talk about for you. We don't really have anything negative to talk about this week. We've got all wins for all three teams, and we will get to all of it here today on the show. The audio, we want to remind you, is pretty much anywhere. iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, Apple, many, many more platforms. Appreciate you liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast if you feel like it's meaningful to you. We appreciate your following us so much. I don't remember what order I just said we were going to do things in, so instead we're going to do it in the order that I plan to do it in, which is what I think is the least interesting to the most interesting games, which means we are starting, in my opinion, not because I think that they're the least interesting team, but Kansas State's win over Missouri, I think, is the least interesting win of the three because, let's be honest, Missouri never really threatened. Their quarterback looked bad. Brady Cook looked like he may as well have been a freshman in high school because Kansas State defensively controlled the line of scrimmage, and Missouri, Tommy, it barely looked like they got off the bus because Kansas State never was threatened in this game. You never got even a, even a sniff that Mizzou was going to be in this game. It was 40-12, to 12, a beatdown in Manhattan. Despite the rain and lightning delays, Missouri was never in this play. Hell, the Tigers didn't get a touchdown until the last play of the game. They averaged less than four and a half yards per pass attempt. They had four INTs in the second half. And while the Wildcats definitely were not perfect, Tommy, uh, this was a game that was never in doubt. Kansas State led and was in control for the entire hour. Yeah, the Wildcat defense. I mean, they picked off Missouri four times in that game. Brady Cook 
threw two interceptions. <laughs> they were and not good. Really, I think I think the key defensively for Kansas State was limiting Luther Burden. He had a great opening game for Missouri. He's a like a freshman phenom for the Tigers squad. Highly touted uh, wide receiver. He's also going to run the football occasionally, and he had a big game. I don't exactly remember, and this is my bad of my research, but a lot's happened since then. I don't remember who Missouri played in their opening game. Might have been Louisiana Tech, maybe. Might be right. Um, But regardless, Luther Burden, I remember, had a big game for the Tigers in their opening week matchup. Uh, The the Wildcats, they limited Luther Burden. He had one carry for six yards, and he had one catch for three yards. That's pretty much all he did. You nailed it, Tommy. Louisiana Tech, and they beat the Texters 52-24 over the Bulldogs. Yeah, and so I think that was a key defensively for Kansas State. And then offensively, of course, it's Deuce Vaughn's world. We're all just living in it. Basically. It, what What is so good about this Wildcats team, this one in particular that Chris Kleiman has put together in Manhattan, is they know their identity. They know who they are. They know what they're going to do. They know what they do well. And what they do well is run the football, just pound it down the throats of their opponent and play solid defense, force takeaways. That's what they do. And that's who they are. And it has worked out very well for them in the first two games of the season. Um, They looked complete against a Missouri team that, yeah, the Tigers are down, but they're also in the SEC, which last I heard, SEC is supposed to be the number one football conference in America. And number two uh, conference in America, depending right. on who you ask. Yeah. So ultimately, great weekend for the Wildcats. You know, I think the big debate comes down. I'd love to get your position on this. The big question comes into who is Adrian Martinez to this team? And is he going to, is there going to come a point during the season where he's going to have to throw the ball? I mean, he had a, a under 50% completion rate for barely 100 yards against Missouri, really didn't do anything in their opening matchup against South Dakota. What's it going to look like for Adrian Martinez when they get into Big 12 play? What if they fall behind early? Does Martinez have what it takes to get the Wildcats back into a game? Um, because that, that, that ultimately, yeah, they have an identity, but that ultimately seems like, at least early on, the way to beat the Wildcats is to try to get up on them early and force Martinez to throw the ball. Well, and the thing is that if you, you're you putting an awful lot of pressure on your offensive line to not get behind the sticks ever because it doesn't really matter how good of a rushing team you are. If you have a bad down, you're going to have to pass at some point. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the Wildcats are chunking up yardage right now five and a half yards per carry. The defense has not really been tested. I think that's fair to say that Kansas State has passed with flying colors. I mean, they've had a team in week one, South Dakota, that they should dominate, and they did dominate. They dominated Missouri. Missouri ran the ball 35 times. They lost 26 yards and gained 94. So they gained 120. When I say 94, that was their net. They had only one touchdown. They averaged 2.7 yards per carry. Brady Cook was terrible. 15 for 27, four picks, got sacked. You know, the, the, the line was great for Kansas State. It seemed like every time the black and gold snapped the ball, the line of scrimmage just immediately moved two yards in the other direction. So they controlled things up front, and there were plenty of holes for Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez to run through. 
I think it's a little bit early. There's been some criticism I've seen on Kansas State football Twitter about, oh, Adrian Martinez is just a game manager. Can he make the throw Who down cares? the field? Who cares? You know, like, l- let's be fair. The weather in that game was not great against Missouri, and he hasn't really had to do anything. Coach Kleiman, you know, is this a situation where he's not putting their whole playbook out there because they really haven't needed it? You know, if you're going to run the football and Deuce Vaughn is going to carry it 24 times, lose only one yard the whole game and average six yards a carry, and then you've got Adrian Martinez carrying the ball 13 times for 52 yards, averaging four yards a carry, you get four rushing touchdowns. What incentive do you have to show a lot of your passing game? Yes, there were issues especially converting on turnovers. I think that's the biggest thing that Kansas State has got to get corrected if they are going to challenge the upper echelon, which I think we believe this year is Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and, and possibly Baylor as well. You cannot do what I have. I did do this part of the research. Kansas State threw all of those interceptions, two field goals and a missed field goal. So if you get three-plus turnovers – You've got to do better than six points or nine points against a team like Oklahoma and a team like Oklahoma State. And they did not do a good job of converting. I think that Adrian Martinez is okay as a game manager. I think you lean into what you're doing right now, sell out on the run, continue to dominate up front. And, you know, hopefully Coach Kleiman, who is a famously good offensive coach, had great offenses at North Dakota State. Hopefully he will have a wrinkle in the passing game because I do agree with what you said. There will be a point at some time in this year, I believe, if Kansas State is going to be Big 12 champion, that they will have to make a play or two in the passing game. And Adrian Martinez, will he be up to it? I can't say that definitively yes today, but I think that definitively yes he is going to lead Kansas State to a better record than they had last year based on what I'm seeing so far because he's not making mistakes. He's not turning the ball over. That's a problem that Kansas State did have last season was turnovers at that position. He is not throwing the ball to the other team. And as long as he keeps his interceptions at zero like he did against Missouri, I think that Kansas State can use him the way that they're using him now and be successful. Those people on Kansas State Twitter that are criticizing Adrian Martinez are fools. I mean, just flat out fools for a couple of reasons. I don't think that there's a ton of them, but I definitely did see, oh, just a game manager as as a narrative. the, the reason why, for there's, a, there's actually a couple of reasons. Number one is because Adrian Martinez has shown in the past that he can be more than a game manager. He did that under Scott Frost at, at Nebraska. He threw the ball a lot, and he did throw it effectively. He did struggle with turnovers, and so that was the, the big Achilles heel for Adrian Martinez during his tenure at Nebraska. But he's proven he can do it. But right now he hasn't needed to. And right now that's not what the offense led by Colin Klein has dictated for him to do. So that's number one. Number two is that when you've got one of, if not the best running backs in the entire country who should be a legitimate Heisman candidate in Deuce Vaughn, it's okay to play second fiddle to him in the offense. That's what you should be doing because for all of those people who are on Kansas state Twitter that are saying Adrian Martinez needs to show that he can throw the ball more and more effectively and big plays or whatever. 
you do realize that every time you throw the football, you're taking a touch away from Deuce Vaughn, who, you know, he, I think he ran the ball 24 times. I've got the, the stats right, right here. 24 ran, for 124 for 123. And weren't there so, a couple games last year, Tommy, that you and I both said, gosh, I would have loved to have seen Deuce Vaughn get a couple more touches in this game. Yeah, exactly. So 24 for 145, average six yards a carry, two touchdowns. And Martinez ran it well, too. 13 carries, 52 yards, and a touchdown. So I wouldn't mind to see Adrian, or I wouldn't mind to see Deuce Vaughn getting five or six more touches, getting closer to that 30. I mean, I get it every time you're giving him the ball, especially in those conditions that, you know, we saw on Saturday, that's probably less than ideal on a wet field or whatever, but he's so dynamic. He's so explosive. We've seen what he can do the last couple of years and so far this season. So for all of those people that say, oh, Kansas State is one dimensional and Adrian Martinez needs to throw the ball more. No, he doesn't. Not right now. He doesn't. Now, I think Adrian Martinez can. He's proven it in the past. So let's lean on that. Let's say we've he's he did it at Nebraska. He can do it with Kansas State, but he hasn't needed to. So I'm with you. I, I think you and I agree on this. Lean in to your identity for as long as you can. That's going to be the most important thing offensively. Certainly, he certainly hasn't shown that the only thing that I'll say in favor of those people is he hasn't proven it at Kansas State. Because right now, through two games, he's got zero passing touchdowns, only five yards per attempt, 39 total attempts, and less than 200 total yards. So if you want to be concerned, I get it, but you're 2-0, and the thing that you have to hang your hat on is that Kansas State is whipping teams defensively. Daniel Green had another outstanding week, seven tackles, another interception, so they defensively, Kansas State is doing a great job of getting pressure in the backfield. They had 10 tackles for loss. Austin Moore had two. Josh Hayes had two. The Kansas State, there was just a line of purple. Missouri could not block them. There, Missouri had no chance to run the football in this game. Kansas State was so superior up front in the front seven. The offensive linemen, they weren't not, not only were they not getting to the second level, they weren't winning at the first level. Kansas State was yeah. winning the line of scrimmage and they did for basically all but like four rushing plays the whole game. What was Missouri's longest rush of the day? They had an, their quarterback had an 11 yard rush, was the biggest play that they gave up the whole game. Okay. They gave up one 39 yard pass play. 39 of Brady Cook's 128 yards came on one play. So the mm -hmm. defense is being extremely efficient. They're getting teams off the field quickly. They're not allowing a lot of field goal attempts. You know, I, I think that this Kansas State defense needs to be what the focus is on. If you're a Kansas State fan right now, they let Missouri in the red zone once, and Missouri was 5 of 16 on third down. 5 of 16. That's pretty good numbers if you're a Kansas State fan. Yeah, on top of that, I mean, you think back to those Bill Snyder days when Kansas State was elite. You know, the 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 team in 2003 and, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s Wildcats and they're they're challenging for Big 12 championships and they're in discussions for national championships. It was the defense and it was the defensive line especially. It was what what his teams were able to do with the front four, the front attack, the front line, that's what made those Wildcats team, Wildcat teams so successful first and foremost. 
that identity went away for a while from Kansas State. It's back in full force with Chris Kleiman. It took him a little bit of time to, to build up the program and to get his guys in, in place. He's got it now. And, and, you know, so watching them match up at the, the point of attack at the line of scrimmage, that's been a key defensively for Kansas State. And yeah, like you, I noticed the exact same thing. Like, you know, Missouri snaps the football, the line of scrimmage moves back two yards immediately. Immediately. Pretty much every single, every single snap, they're winning at the point of attack. That's super important moving forward. I think that Missouri's offensive line and some of the top teams in the Big 12, like Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, their, their offensive lines are significantly better than Missouri's are. And so sure. I think you're going to have, I think it's a good matchup now for Kansas State's front four to be able to go up against these top echelon, these elite teams in the Big 12. The other thing about the Wildcats that we'd be remiss to not bring up is how great they were on special teams against sure. Missouri. Phillip Brooks had a punt return for a touchdown. Um, you know, that was huge. And that's also something that Bill Snyder teams in the past hung their hat on. Oh, yeah. He had his son, Sean, as the special teams coordinator for years and years, and they were always great at special teams. They averaged Again, 54 yards a punt in that game. 54. Yeah, it, was, it was great. I mean, special teams were, were on point for Kansas State. And I think looking forward for this program, and I'm sure that we'll we'll mention who they've got coming up and all that. We will. The real like have right test. Here. I'm sure you do. The real litmus test for the Wildcats is going to be in two weeks. Oh, know, yeah. Start the season on the road in Oklahoma, taking on the Sooners in Norman. That's going to be the true test to see exactly where the Wildcats are in the Big 12. Are they up there? Are they a team that's ready to compete for a Big 12 championship? Or are they just a step below the elite? Um, I think we'll find out for sure in two weeks. Well, I, I think we're going to have to change how we kind of do this segment. Not that we'll be making picks, but uh, we do need to mention that they are taking on Tulane this mm -hmm. week. A 42 Tulane's win. no pushover, by the way. Oh, they, they've blown out two let's say very lesser teams. I don't know if we sure. know that much about Tulane. They destroyed UMass 42 to 10, and then they beat Alcorn State 52-0. I would not put any of those opponents on the same level as Kansas State. It's no. a 2 p.m. kickoff at ESP on ESPN+. Plus. Here's what we're going to add, Tommy, to the segment now. Now that everything is live here in Kansas, I should be informing the listeners, Kansas State is giving 15.5 points to the Green Wave mm -hmm. coming up on, uh, at least on BetMGM, which is what I'm looking at. Uh, Tommy? We need, an, we need an official sports book. Uh, yeah, who is, what the is the official the sports book of the can of we the Cod Pod? We need a sponsorship for that. Uh, we'll get on. We'll get on our digital marketing marketing team to make that happen for next <laughs> week. Um, I, I, uh, I I will say uh, hit uh, a hit on uh, taking the Wildcats. I think they were giving like God, I think it was only like seven and a half to Missouri. Yeah, it was a low I was spread. all over I, that. I jumped all over that. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that was we easy. definitely won that. Fifteen and a half points. I'm I'm interested in 15 and a half. I think though I think that they will win by more than 16. After seeing what they did um you know on on Saturday against Missouri and knowing that they're taking on Tulane, yeah, the spread is is about double. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly double yeah, what it was much. against Missouri. 14 and a half at home. They've put up a ton of points in their first two games. I'll take the Wildcats to cover the spread on that. Fifteen and a half. You're gonna you're gonna yep. give the fifteen and a half. Yeah, See, I, I've I got I've got a fourteen and a half. I'm looking at DraftKings right now, and the okay. line DraftKings is is fourteen and a half. I have to switch apps um, then. 
So, I mean, either way, I think I would take it. Um, I mean, if yeah, you get sure. an extra I point, I mean, take the extra sure. point. I think that they'll cover that for sure. So next up for us, the second least interesting win to the second most interesting, depending on how you want to look at it. The Kansas City Chiefs won and oh after a 44-21 victory over the Cardinals. Chiefs jumped out to a 14-0 lead that most of us didn't even see because the Bengals could not kick a field goal, so we were waiting. By the way, I had action on that game, too. I, I had the Bengals to win that game. I'm just thinking, all you have to do is kick a field goal. <laughs> that is uh, exhibit A on why you don't want to bet on sports, because I made a great bet. My bet on the Bengals there was perfect. It was a money line bet, by the way. I absolutely made the correct bet, and the Bengals just gagged it away. So yep. if you want to know why you should not be gambling on sports, Bengals Steelers last week. That's why you don't bet. That's why you the don't whole bet week, on sports. The whole week one in the NFL Weird. was drunk. It was drunk. Uh, one especially division when it didn't came to win betting. and they played each other. Yeah, it was it was absolutely bizarre. Well, the one game or one of the few games that really played to form and was exactly what we thought was the Chiefs game. They're one to know a 44-21 victory over the Cardinals. Patrick Mahomes appeared to be at the very height of his powers. Tyreek who the defense didn't really give anything meaningful up until the game was totally out of reach. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire averaged six yards per touch. Isaiah Pacheco averaged over six yards per carry in the second half. And Tommy, this offense, which is, this is something that I have brought up the last few years. It was a point of concern for me in our, you know, pre-season preview a couple of weeks ago. This offense may be able to move the football on the ground. And an honest running game, boy, is that going to make life easier for number 15. For all the people out there, all the national pundits out there, all the fake debate shows on the sports channels out there that said the Kansas City Chiefs have lost a step. They're going to miss Tyreek Hill. They're going to miss Teron Matthew. They're not going to be able to perform like they had before. Mm. All the other teams in the division got better and the Chiefs got worse. They did. Blah, 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 they blah, blah, cat. blah. Exhibit A, Patrick <laughs> LeVon Mahomes II, who <laughs> absolutely went off 30 for 39, 360 yards, five TDs, zero interceptions. And I'm sorry. Just because your tight end is 34 years old, that doesn't mean he lost a step. Did at he all. look 34 to you? Oh my God, he, he looked, looked like incredible. he was Travis Kelsey to me. And this is Travis Kelsey. Let's not forget that lost the guy opposite the field of him and Tyree Kill. So he was getting a lot more attention sure. than what he has been getting in years past. And it didn't even look like it mattered to him. No. He, I mean, he was the leading receiver for Kansas City in that game. And I think all of the questions about the wide receiver room, who's going to replace Tyreek's touches and what are they going to do without him? I think it, I think it worked out well. I mean, look, let's not discount Tyreek Hill's importance in the past. We would never to Kansas do that. City. He helped lead them to a Super Bowl. He's one of the most special receivers that I've ever seen. It's a difference without a doubt. maker. That being said, there's not a doubt in my mind that it got to the point. I don't think the Chiefs would have traded him had it not gotten to the point to where Tyreek, it might have been wearing on the players, especially Mahomes in the locker room. Like Tyreek potentially wanting more catches, wanting Patrick to throw him the ball. And I don't know if that's the case. It sounded like he just wanted right. more money. It was just contract. He wanted to get the max contract, and the Chiefs wanted to give him the max contract. Regardless. But felt, but felt like 
you know, they needed, to, they understood, Tommy, the things that we talked about, not that sure. they watched the show, but there are issues on the other side of the ball and at other positions sure. that they ha- we have to address as the Chiefs to get back to where we were. And regardless of the reasoning behind it, I think what it did with Hill leaving town is it allowed Mahomes to go out and play football. It allowed him to play free. And there were times last season that I don't think Mahomes was able to play quite as free as he typically had been able to in the past. And part of it comes down to defenses not being able to zero in on Tyreek Hill. And now there's a a bounty of receivers that you've got a game plan for. And I think that helps. I think I, I saw a more free-flowing Patrick Mahomes that I've seen in a while, and he was able to go through progressions. Yeah, he still leaned on his security blanket, Travis Kelsey. Why wouldn't you? He's the number one tight end in the league. Yeah. But he was able to go through progressions, and he was able to target MVS and Juju, and you know, Sky Moore had a 30-yard And actually catch did and, throw out of the pocket, didn't right, just yeah, do exactly. street ball. Right, the, right. the stupidest, the, literally the dumbest criticism of a star quarterback I've ever heard, although he did yeah. make that one little, like, tune back sidearm throw so he, he can play street ball too if that's what if that's sure. a, as if that's a bad thing yeah and so he was able to do all of that he was able to find Clyde Edwards E. Lair out of the backfield uh, to catch some passes and then of course you know CEH ran the ball well too and you know Pacheco got a ton of touches in the second half due to the fact that the Chiefs were leading by so much but and this did, and is, did well looked good six yards well, carry for sure he did the, the Chiefs did have such a complete and balanced offense, a solid offensive line um, that were, you know, I think it's a, it's definitely a concern that Trey Smith uh, was banged up and injured. And I don't think he practiced today leading up to the game on Thursday. That's not good. Nick Allegretti will fill in for him, but you look at what they were able to do on the offensive line. I mean, this was, not a Patrick Mahomes game of like, all right, he's gonna, it's gonna, he's gonna have to be Superman. He's gonna have to put the team no, on not his shoulders at all. and carry. Like it was just complete and balanced and dynamic and explosive, all in one. And uh, it, that was great to see. And not only that, but I think that defensively, the Chiefs played well. I mean, the they gave up twenty one points. Fourteen were in the fourth quarter when yeah. it's you know it was garbage like time. thirty-seven yep. to seven or something. It it, right. it doesn't matter. The Cardinals have zero chance to win that game at that point. Cardinals they, are not good. I mean, I think that's another big takeaway from this game is that not as good the, as we thought they were. I think the Cardinals are not as good as we thought. They were missing pieces. DeAndre Hopkins was out. JJ Watt was out. Sure. Um, you know, but they I mean, Kyler Murray, not good. No, um, he looked not very. Good. He did not, not look like worth Kyler the contract. Murray. No. Overrated. Not good. The, well, the um, Chiefs totally hemmed him in. One Thornhill had some incredible yeah. breakups on the football. Nick Bolton stacked up yet another 10-tackle game. They And you mentioned some injuries that the Chiefs did sustain. They're taking on the Chargers on Thursday Night Football in Kansas City on Amazon Prime Video. So I think that this will be very interesting to see the kind of test that this is because after watching Kyler Murray week one, I think we're definitely all both on the same page. The Chargers have a much better quarterback, or at least one that's playing much better right yeah. now. And I'm interested to see, against an improved offense, what this Chiefs defense can do. 
Sure. And I think the one guy to me that surprised me that stood out against the Cardinals defensively for Kansas City is Carlos Dunlap. You know, the veteran comes in during the offseason is that acquisition and doesn't really kind of flies under the radar as an acquisition. Like everybody's talking about, you know, what's happening with Frank Clark contract wise and, you know, the the draft picks and Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis defensively. Uh, I'm sorry, Carlos Dunlap has had a pretty solid career in the NFL. He came in and he played really well. I think he had a sack uh, in the game uh, on Kyler Murray, which was which was great to see. But you're right. I mean, leading up to the short week, Thursday night football in primetime, uh, Justin Herbert is on a whole nother level than Kyler Murray is. The Chargers as a team are on a whole nother level than what the, the Cardinals are, without a doubt. I do think the AFC West has shaped up about how it should like you've got the Chiefs and the Chargers are clearly the the top tier of the AFC West the Raiders did hang with the Chargers though in week it was one. a five-point so game they're Raiders, right below Raiders needed six yeah. points in the fourth to come from behind and win that game and then then you've got the the knucklehead new coach in in Denver you know who's choosing to go for 64 yard field goals instead of your $250 million quarterback that you gave up a ton of draft picks to get uh, in Russell Wilson, which boggles my mind, you know, in last place (laughs) in the AFC West. So, you know, I think things are shaping out the way that they should, um, but it's going to be a true test of who, who is the elite of the elite in the division? Is it still Patrick Mahomes at the top of the mountain or is Justin Herbert coming up, you know, right behind him? And we'll find that out on Thursday night. Spread right now, the Kansas City Chiefs on the line that I am looking on the book that I am looking at are giving Four to the Chargers in this game, giving four. I think that the Chiefs can win by more than four points, Tommy. Yeah, so um, I know that like, I originally got in on this game um, at the line was, I think, three and a half. And it's gone up since then. Like I'm looking at some it's of been these. been bet up to four. Yeah, so uh, on BetMGM. down but, to four if you're looking uh, at the Chiefs side. Right. On BetMGM, the Chiefs are giving four points. FanDuel and DraftKings, they're giving four and a half. Um, you know, so there are a couple of different options there. Obviously, it looks like right now best value is BetMGM. But I think the Chiefs can cover that. It's at home. It is a short week. Um, it could but, be a short week for the Chargers, too. Right, exactly. And if you're going to play the, your Thursday night game, I mean, you'd rather play it in Kansas City at home, absolutely, right? So. Absolutely, without a doubt. And I also I think, think the Chiefs it's can, such a lucky break for the Chiefs. Like, guy, you get your Thursday night game out of the way week two. Awesome. Right. Yep. And on top of that, you know, I had money on the Chiefs last week to cover the spread, which I think I, I got in late on the game with, with the Cardinals. Uh-huh. And I think the, the line was like, I think I want to say it was six and a half. That I got sounds in. about right. And I I think at one point it had been lower. It was like three and a half or something. I got in at six and a half. And I remember thinking at the time, like, uh, that's a no brainer. Even at six and a half, I would have taken it at nine or ten. I'm very um, sad that I had it as part of a parlay and that yeah. the Niners. I, I had the I had the Chiefs, the Niners and the Bengals was my three team. Oh, par- and I feel great. I still that. feel great about that parlay. I mean, yeah, like. Bengals? What? Uh, you lost to Mitch Trubisky? And yeah. the Niners? Come on. There were a couple. I did fairly well like on other games. Like I had the Ravens to cover the spread against the Jets. That's a no-brainer. Sure. Uh, and yeah. then I had the other one I had uh, that worked out pretty well was I had the Vikings over the Packers. I felt like the Vikings. And uh, I did by not the way, see that coming, by the way. I think Minnesota is, they could be the NFC champion. Like they look the most complete. Really? I did not see them beating team in week one. Didn't they win like by two twenty one seven? 
23 to 7. 23? 24 I to 7 did was the not. Score. Yeah. If you had that, good for you. I didn't have them beating. Who, who is Aaron Rodgers throwing the football to? He has nobody now. Apparently, apparently you've no got, one. You've got one of the top two, in my opinion, best receivers in the NFL in Justin Jefferson. And Dalvin Cook ain't no slouch around the football either. So after, I mean, I know it's early. It might be an overreaction. I think the Vikings will win the NFC. Wow, that would be a huge, huge pick. I mean, I bet there's action on that on one of these apps. I would be yep. interested to know what the odds were on that, by the way. Once again, Thursday night football in Kansas City, Amazon Prime Video. So none of us down here will probably watch it. Uh, I will be listening to it, however, on Thursday night. And then that brings us to the most interesting start. Of course, uh, the Jayhawks are 2-0 and since we're doing this bi-weekly. The Jayhawks, of course, uh, with a blowout victory over Tennessee Tech, pretty much dominated in Week 1. But a much more interesting game to talk about here in Week 2 as they go on the road and win in overtime by 13 points over the Mountaineers. Uh, that's not something that happens real often. 55-42 at Milan Pusker Stadium. The first ever win for the Jayhawks over the Mountaineers in Morgantown. Kansas had to come from behind from 14 down three times in this game. Again, another game that had extremely sloppy conditions. Heavy rain at times in this game. Jalen Daniels' numbers were far from spectacular. However, what was spectacular, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, a couple of huge touchdown passes, including the last one to Skinner, which was amazing on the money. Tommy, something real. Kansas ran the ball for 200 yards, 5.6 yards per carry, at least defensively. We'll get to that because I'm not seeing progress on defense right now. But when you take into account what the team has had to overcome, the adversity and the offense, there is something real happening in Lawrence right now. 100%. And uh, I'm ready right now to put up a statue, actually two twin statues outside Memorial Stadium one of Lance Leipold and one of Jalen Daniels. <laughs> Maybe um, we don't even have one of Todd Reesing yet and Mark Mangino. But, so let's but to, get those up first. To that point, though, I've not seen a quarterback make the kinds of throws that Jalen Daniels was able to make since Todd Reesing. That was no, the he's last the time. He's the first, for sure. Yeah, that there has not been any quarterback in Kansas, at Kansas Can you for name 15 one years. quarterback that approaches him other than since Todd Reesing? I don't. I don't think Carter so. I don't think there is one. No. No. You know, I mean, Carter Stanley had some good moments, I guess, but no. Yeah. Um, no. Cer- certainly mean, not the the Bishop guy. Forget his name. I called his name. They got obliterated by Bishop Carroll in the five A championship game from Bishop Miege. Uh, Kozer. Yeah. Oh, uh, Montel Montel Kozer. Montel yeah. Kozer. No. Montel yeah, Kozer. Yeah, not no. not him. No. Not even close. No. Remember Dane Christ? I do. Uh, and that Charlie Weiss wearing those terrible black on black helmets. And the, the guy who made the perfect read, he threw the ball to the right. God bless him. He should be an offensive coordinator. He would throw the ball to the open guy every time. But God bless his heart if he would not miss an open receiver by five <laughs> yards every single time. Like, just throw it to him. You see that he's open. Don't overthrow him by 10 yards again. 
All right, so okay, so back to back to this actual yes, game make and, me happy and this program right now. Um, offensively, yeah, I mean they they've got something cooking there, and kind of going back to the conversation that we were having a little bit ago about Kansas State, like they have the bodies now, like, and I noticed this throughout the game. Like you mentioned, what what it looked like on the line for Kansas State and and at the point of attack. I noticed it even more in the Kansas and and West Virginia on the game offensive where, side. On the offensive yes, side, I where, agree. You know, in in years past, you just you know in Big Twelve matchups, especially, you just knew that the offensive quarterback line is going to get killed. way over way overmatched. Oh, like yeah. even just like body size, body type, like the muscles on the D line <laughs> in, at Oklahoma or Texas or who wherever. Like you're just like man, they're gonna get blown up. It, it looked like and, Kansas was playing in the KCAC at right, times. Absolutely, and you know, so and on top of that, you know, yeah, it's conditioning, it's weightlifting, it's all of that, it's development, but it's also just the number of, of people in the program. And I, I'm sure that non-Kansas fans get tired of KU people like harping on, you know, well, they finally have the scholarship situation under control. But that is so essential. It's so important because I don't know how many times. Over the last several years, Kansas would get a glimmer of hope. Like they would come out and they'd play really, really well in the first quarter, BTCU, third quarter, like very, very close there. But in the back of your mind, you always knew they have no depth. It's not real. These guys are they're they're going to get gassed. Yes, they're going to get gassed, and there's nobody on the two deep to replace them. And they're going to get how many of those games did they play against TCU where they had the lead in the fourth quarter? Yeah. I was at can't mo- stop multiple of them, and then ultimately <laughs> they lose the game. My yes. my brother in law is a TCU grad, and so there were a couple of games that like we would go together, like we'd all be there, and I would be giving him so much <laughs> shit, like in the How first that half. For you? you know, like ah, oh, TCU's overrated. Like he would be. I remember he like would go to the concession stand and he'd be gone and I would call <laughs> I'd call him from my seat and just be like oh overrated like all the time and then ultimately TCU would always win. Of course. Um, of course. So but it, it always came down to the fact that they they just didn't have the the guys. They they didn't have the depth and and if if I knew that as a fan and a casual observer, you better believe the opponents knew that too oh. and knew it was just going to be a matter of time before they get worn they got worn down. That didn't happen with this game against West Virginia. They got down a few different times, like you mentioned, and they came right back and they were fresh and they were dynamic offensively. And Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator, always had a fresh play call. And Jalen Daniels was always able to make a play. And Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw ran the ball effectively, especially late in the game. And Luke Grimm caught a ton of passes. And Quentin Skinner looked great, caught a touchdown. Like, they have weapons consistently offensively. The playmakers are there. The skill guys are there and they have an offensive line to back it up too. And I think that that's, I mean, that's something we haven't seen in forever uh, from, from this Kansas program. That's the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, we can get into game management. We can get into some of the decisions late in the game. Kansas should have won that game in overtime. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not going to lie. There was, are you meaning, are you meaning in regulation? Because you yeah, said they, they should have won. won in regular. Okay, you they said it won in regulation. Okay. No, they should have won in regulation. Fair enough. And is this a Leopold thing? Yeah, I think a little bit of it. I mean, I think I mean, we talked know, about Leopold last year in a couple of decisions. Like, oh my gosh, punt the football! What are we doing? 
Yeah, I think that, the, I mean, yeah, I think it ultimately comes back on, on the head coach, but they should have won in overtime. Agreed. I had, a, I'm not going to lie, I had a little bit of PTSD, like sitting back and being like, oh my God, here we go again. Like Kansas is going to lose a game. Um, but, oh my you know, gosh, they, they when were they able called to make it work. That, uh, um, what, was, what was that play that they overturned? It was like, oh, it was a fumble recovery or something. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. late. And I'm like, oh, pl- I think I tweeted out just, please. And then they overturn it like, dang it. Yeah. Well, and and, And then they get into defense, uh, which we should should mention. The Kansas defense looked like they were absent. I mean, JT Daniels ripped Kansas to shreds. They had the one pick, the the, as Brian Haney likes to call him, the Hawk Mamba, Kobe Bryant, able to do the pick six at the end. And that was a great break on the football. He read that perfectly because he wasn't really that close to the receiver that receiver was open Bryant just he saw the route and he jumped on it but you know West Virginia ran the ball for almost four yards of carry JT Daniels threw it for 365 three touchdowns had a 67 yarder and KU in this game had a zero sacks a zero quarterback hits now to KU's credit West Virginia had zero sacks and only one quarterback hit so kudos to the offensive line but this Jayhawk defense there is you know there's a ways to go there is and then there's a ways to go in the whole program they're not gonna they're gonna put up 55 points every week I mean you know they're they're like the second leading offense in America right now hell yeah that's not gonna that's not gonna last I'm like I'm not gonna I don't want to burst anybody's bubble that's not going to be the way it is at the end of the season let's do this um but yeah I mean that they are in a position now where the offense will drive them, which is great, and the defense will hang on for dear life, which is less than ideal. Uh, but right now, it's you gotta the get reality. one side of the football fixed first. Yep, it's it's the reality. It's the state of the program. They do have some playmakers defensively. You mentioned Jacoby Bryant, Kenny Logan uh, looks yeah. really good. Lonnie Phelps was kind of silent uh, against West Virginia, but he it had just, a great game against Tennessee Tech. It just um, didn't seem like JT Daniels was any under any kind of consistent duress. No, I'm, you know, he wasn't, you know, like there was not that they, they did not do a good job of taking JT Daniels out of what he wanted to do. I don't even know if the coverage was that bad. Like I don't recall any big, they they had a 67 yarder, which Mm -hmm. obviously that's not great, but you know, I don't remember any plays that are just like, wow, you know, like in past years in the, you know, Charlie Weiss or the, you know, any of those other eras where there was just. How in the world did we miss this coverage? I don't recall right. that, but you can't just make those guys cover out there forever. And and they did not do a good job of getting to JT Daniels. I thought that the the West Virginia offensive line, in terms of the pass protection, they they whipped Kansas in that in that department. They whipped KU. I, both well, offensive yeah. lines kind of whipped the defenses in pass protection. Sure, and you know the the one thing that like is so important to look at. And we can certainly be critical of the areas that need improvement. Of course, and we should be. But, but these games, the fact that like, I look at the Texas game a year ago, and I look at this game, and getting over the hump to actually get the victories, that's what builds a program. That's yes. what builds a culture. That's why Lance Leipold is in Lawrence. And I thought that this, I'm sure that you saw this, uh, but I saw this stat um, after the game. And, and so for anybody listening that didn't hear this, like this blew my mind, big 12 road record, 
Turner Gill, 0-7. Charlie <laughs> Weiss, 0-9. Yep. Clint Bowen as the interim, 0-5. David Beatty, 0-18. Les Miles, 0-10. Lance Leipold, 2-3. 2-3, baby! <laughs> You know, that, just a massive change there. And, you know, and you look at that two and three and, you know, there were other Big 12 games, albeit at home last year, but there were other Big 12 games that the Jayhawks were in. No, that's they, not true. They were in the game last year at West Virginia. At West, No, that game was in Lawrence. Was that in Lawrence? Year. Okay. Yeah, I they played at West Virginia this year. So they, they played in, in Lawrence. They lost by six points to West Virginia in Lawrence last year. They had Oklahoma on the ropes late in the game. Oklahoma Should won by, Oklahoma. I don't know, like 12. But the Jayhawks were leading that game in the second yeah, half. If they like, blow the whistle on that play, KU right. win. No one can convince me that KU doesn't win that game. They nearly beat TCU last year. So the the, the program is closer than, than people think. And it, it started last year towards the end of the season. And it's continued on. And this is as good of a start as you could have possibly scripted up if you're Lance Leipold and company. I'm super, super intrigued by this Houston game this weekend because Houston, they were ranked. They were 25th. They've dropped out of the rankings after falling to Texas Tech. Kansas knows Dana Holgerson and Dana Holgerson knows KU um, because of his time at West Virginia. And Kansas has beaten Dana Holgerson. They beat West Virginia and Lawrence in 2013. So he knows what that's like as well. I'm not sure that uh, Houston is quite as good as people were giving them credit for. Because we both thought early on, zero chance for K to win this game. I don't know if you watched much of the Houston Tech game. I I did not. Tech did not. uh, I mean, uh, Houston did not look great through most of that game. Uh, and so I'm intrigued by this. Now, well, are you intrigued enough to take 10 points for the old Jayhawks? Are you in, are you that <sighs> intrigued? Cause that's what the line is right now that I'm looking at Kansas getting 10, but on the road at formerly number 25 Houston. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's to me is a tough one. Why don't you go first? Then let uh, me think about it for a second. You, I don't know. 10 points is. I don't know if I would be a player. You know what I think I am a player on in this game, though? The over-under. The over is 56 and a half. KU gave up 44 last week. Is there any indication that Houston is worse than West Virginia offensively? Not really. So KU probably going to give up 35. Can KU find a way to score 21 points? If they do, you're a winner. So... 35, 21, 58. Yeah. Um, so I think the over is actually interesting in this game. KU plus 10. I think that I would be inclined to say no, but I think it might be, I think that might be really close. That, that could be like a push yeah. for me. That's really tough. Uh, Cause I can absolutely see a scenario where Kansas keeps it within a touchdown. I, I can uh, see KU winning this game, but right. I can also see KU losing this game by so, 17. I had action on the I had action on the KU West Virginia game. I wanted and to take the t- KU was getting like 13 and a half. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I wanted to pull the I trigger. I mean, I took KU to, to You're cover. You're a bigger that. man. You got bigger cojones than I do. Yeah. You got you got onions. You got bigger ones than I do, man. I, I think and, and and it was just purely based on this gut feeling that the days of Kansas consistently getting blown out by three, four, five touchdowns. They would are, appear to be done. over. 
are done. And so, yeah, it doesn't mean that the losing is done, but it no. certainly means that the absolute blowouts, like I said, the before the West Virginia, yeah, I said before the West Virginia game that the worst thing that could possibly happen for Kansas would be to go to West Virginia and get punched in the mouth because of the momentum that this program has, has gotten to, to just go and be embarrassed at Morgantown was the worst thing that could happen to the program. And they didn't, they didn't let that happen. I mean, it was quite the opposite. So it wouldn't surprise me if that continues with Houston, but man, I, I, you know what? I'm going to say, screw it. Yep. They're going to cover that. They're going to cover that. They're going to cover the 10. Wow. Very interesting. What, uh, once again, Kansas taking on Houston coming up this weekend, uh, I will get you that schedule in just a moment. I believe that's a three o'clock kickoff for Kansas against Houston. Uh, I will get you the time in just a moment, but there is one thing I do want to mention before we say goodbye, get into our Wichita whip around. Um, as some of you may know, we do have some Nebraska fans down here. I don't feel like there's as many in Wichita in Topeka. I've always said it's like 45% KU, 45% Kansas State, and 10% Nebraska in Topeka. There's a lot of Husker fans up there. Um, Obviously, tough weekend for the Huskers, losing yet another one-possession game. Scott Frost is out, and if you are a Wildcat or Jayhawk fan, you will know that your head coach has been linked to this job. Both Chris Kleiman and Lance Leopold were asked about it at their midweek press conferences this week as they prepare for non-conference action. Both of them basically said, uh, we're focused on what we're doing right now. Chris Chris Kleiman said something about Gene Taylor. Love that guy was what he said. Lance Leopold said, we're focused on the kids that we have in our next game. I appreciate the question. They both basically answered the question by not answering it, which is what you would expect. I mean, I don't know what you expect the personality of both those guys to do. I think that that's we got exactly what we were going to get. But there have been some articles that have come out, and both of these guys have been linked by several different ones. CBS Sports did not link Leopold to the job. They linked some other guys. The two most consistent names that I have seen have been Mark Stoops, who's the head coach in Kentucky. Kentucky is now in the top 25 and has got a couple of 10-win seasons in the notoriously difficult SEC. And the other guy has been Matt Campbell, the head coach at Iowa State, who had Iowa State up there in the in line for a possible run at the Big 12 Championship just a couple of years ago. And he has famously said that he's only interested in like Notre Dame and one other, Ohio State I think was the other one. But reports have come out and has said that he is intrigued by the Nebraska job. So would be going to the Big Red being the savior in Lincoln be what could pull him away from Iowa State, but certainly who knows what direction Trev Alberts will go. I don't think that this will be a job that is filled quickly. I can't, I cannot imagine that this job will be hired by the end of October. I don't think there's a, a, a single chance that that's going to happen, but Lance Leopold, you brought him up a couple of weeks ago. Chris Kleiman is, is linked to this job as well. Who do you think might be a better fit? Do you think that there is a danger for either the Jayhawks or the Wildcats to lose their coach, a coach that I think each fan base is genuinely and appropriately excited about having in their program? So I'll give it uh, a scale of 1 to 10. Sure. Um, as far as like ten my being, level of 10 being like I'm panicking that they're going to leave. That they're going to leave. Being, I've got no concern about okay. it at all. Uh, I would put Chris Kleiman at a 1. Uh, I don't no think, panic. I don't think Chris Kleiman is going anywhere. Um, he is super comfortable in Manhattan. He has turned that program around, which is hard to do, you know, after the guy that he followed, uh, without a doubt. 
But I think the biggest factor, and he mentioned it in the press conference, was Gene Taylor. You know, Gene Taylor was his athletic director at North Dakota State. They pretty much followed each other to Manhattan. They're they're kind of a package deal at this point. Sure. And unless Trev Alberts is going somewhere, uh, I, I <laughs> don't. What you're I saying really, is, if NU hires the eight, it hires Gene Taylor. Maybe they were going know. to a ten. Right. You never know. Um, now I, I don't I don't have any concerns at all that Chris Kleiman will go anywhere. Um, you know, the only the only thing is, I guess, if you want to have a bigger brand, but really how much bigger of a brand right now is Nebraska than Kansas State? I'd argue that Kansas State is a better job than Nebraska is. The problem um, is that Nebraska's brand, brand is, is all they have right now. That's it. But what is that brand? Like, it, like they don't underperformance. It's not 1997 anymore. Tom Osborne ain't walking through that door. Hell, um, they, Bo Pelini ain't walking through that right. door. Remember yeah. when they thought Bo Pelini wasn't good enough, even though yeah. in his first X years he had a better record than Tom Osborne? He was Osborne? winning eight, nine games a year in, in Nebraska. That was they a, ran him out of town. I still say that that program is cursed since they fired Frank Solich. It's the curse of Frank Solich. They fired him after a nine-win season. When I was thinking at the time, being a KU fan, are you on drugs? Like, yeah. we would literally injure small children to have nine <laughs> wins a season at the University of Kansas. You're firing this guy? And what they've done, the the problems with, and of course we can turn this into a Nebraska talk. All we, we could. But I think one of the big, the big problems is that you know, we talked about Kansas State and their identity, and they know exactly who they are. Nebraska has no idea what they are as a football program. Like, they have a brand. They have the name. They've got these lofty expectations, but they they swing wildly from one direction to another in here, with their coaching staffs. And here their brand is 1997. That's where they are stuck. Yep. Because if you go, the, the, I've been in that stadium. Yep. I've been in that press box. You walk up there, they got the national championship trophies. Yep. They've got all the awards. And you walk in there. I mean, it's not like walking into Cessna Stadium where you go up there and you're like, wow, we're back in 1970. <laughs> right. But, you know, because <laughs> there's no amenities. We've got wood paneling on the sides. But yeah. you walk into that press box and it might as well be 1998 because everything yeah. is sparkly and new around those national championships. But there's nothing since you know since Bill Callahan took over. What do you have to be excited about other than the Bo Pelini era? And that was yeah. not good enough for you. And you know, so they they I've always said that the Nebraska Cornhuskers are the are the Dallas Cowboys of the NCAA. Like the fan base oh, wow. yearns for 25 years ago. They've got a they've got an overly inflated sense of who they are and who their program is. Like they, there's a lot of parallels that you can draw between the two. And you know. Yeah, like they they go with Frank Solich and then they fire him and they go to the complete opposite direction in Bill Call Callahan. That didn't work, so they fire him and they go defensive with uh, with Bo Pelini. Then they ran him out of town. Then they go to Mike Riley and Riley was the opposite end. Like they and then Scott Frost is a quarterback and a you know he's a quarterback the, whisperer. The and promised gonna, son. The the prodigal they, son coming home. They've grasped at straws for so long. So after Scott Frost, what do you do? I mean, he's so the guy who right. won. He they claimed a national championship. He won thirteen and zero at Central Florida. Right. Yeah. So going back to my original point about Chris Kleiman, it's Gene Taylor for sure, but it's also. He knows his identity at Kansas State. So why would you leave that program to sure. go to a place that doesn't have an identity? That doesn't sure. they don't know who they are. They don't know they they know they want to win. They know they want to get back to the glory days, but they don't know how to do it. If I'm Chris Kleiman, I stay away. I've got a much better situation at Kansas State. 
Lance Leipold is a little bit different than Chris Kleiman. I'm going to put him at like a three or a four. Uh, so still not, still not real concerned. Not yet. I'm not yet. Now I did see him answer that press conference where he was a little more vague than Chris Kleiman was. Like Kleiman gave a couple of reasons why he likes Kansas State. Leipold just said, "I'm focused on focused on Houston. Team. Appreciate you the know, question." Like, Okay, really kind of would have liked a little bit more of uh, why you like it here. <laughs> I thing, love but, Lawrence. <laughs> right. Um, the most beautiful city know, in the world. Yeah. So he didn't do that, which that gives me a, a slight bit of pause. Um, but the difference with Leipold is that he has ties to the state. And he coached at Nebraska he under did. Frank Solich for three years. And he coached um, in the state for a number of years. His wife is from Omaha. Um, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if at some point or another in his career, Lance Leipold has thought about being the head coach at Nebraska. Like that's the oh, only course. thing that would give me pause uh, about Lance Leipold. That being said, a couple of reasons why I'm not super concerned is because I don't think that Trev Alberts can win over the fan base by hiring Lance Leipold right now. Like maybe if it was a couple of years from now, maybe that would be the case. Program is a little Lance bit more Le- established. I think Lance Leipold would be a great hire to turn Nebraska around. Because right but now I'm, you're selling your franchise, your Nebraska unreasonable right. fans. Lance Leipold right. has four wins at Kansas. Right. He went two and 10 last year. Like <laughs> that's the guy you're giving the job He's to. Four and 10 in his are, career. Yep. Where there are sexier names out there, there are like Matt Campbell and Mark Stoops, and I've heard Bill O'Brien and Urban Meyer, and Matt like Rule, Matt Rule, uh, the Baylor Hell, head I've coach, I forget Dave his Aranda. name, Dave Aranda. I've heard, I've heard Deion Sanders as a potential replacement at Nebraska. That would be what wild. He's done at Jackson State, like that, there are bigger, sexier names out there than Lance Leipold at Kansas. Now. If this job was open two years from now and he's taking Kansas to a couple of bowl games. Oh, yeah. Then, ab- then absolutely we're a 10 white knuckle. Right. Oh, my God. So the other thing that doesn't why it doesn't super concern me yet is because of the buyout terms. And obviously contracts are made to be broken. It happens all the time. And, you know, I, I, somebody once told me a university does not write a contract that they can't get out of. Same thing with a, a college coach. Um but the buyout terms, if he were to leave Kansas, he'd basically be paying back like everything he ever made. It's every pretty much every dime he ever made at Kansas. He'd be basically just giving back. And why would you leave a rebuild to go to another rebuild? And why would you leave a rebuild where you're you really don't have a ton of pressure right now? Because no. look, you're two and zero, and Kansas fans like want to put a statue oh, up for you. Yes. To go to Nebraska, where you you do like you win seven anything, games, and you're like, well, town. why didn't right. we win eight? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, ultimately, who knows? But I would put Climate at a one and Leipold at a three. And during all that, I was so riveted by that discussion. I forgot to look up when it was. Three o'clock kickoff. Unfortunately, this will be another game that barely any of us watch because it's on the U, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So ESPNU, if you've got an extended cable plan, that is where you can see Kansas versus Houston. That's our show for the week. We will wrap things up right now, of course, with probably Wichita Sports' best segment of each week. It is time to hit the music. Time to go around for the Wichita Whip Around. One story from the Wichita area that you probably should have seen this year and missed. I'm going to start this week because I feel like it. Bishop Carroll High School football starting the season 2-0. They blowed out Wichita South last week. But the notable game was the battle for Tyler Road in week one. A 15-point come-from-behind victory for the Golden Eagles. 
to beat Wichita Northwest 53 to 41. Tommy, this was a series that Bishop Carroll, back when I was calling the games, absolutely dominated. In the first couple of years when Steve Martin had just showed up at Wichita Northwest, this game was not competitive. 2012, 2014, these were below outs in favor of the Golden Eagles. But in 2013, you saw a different Northwest team, and I think the next year they only lost like 12 to 7. So you saw this Coach Martin guy knows how to coach. And Bishop Carroll had lost five of the last six in the battle coming into this year. So for Coach Dusty Trail and that offense to come out and do what they did, obviously, the gang green defense. I know Coach Nance is going to be up a lot trying to fix that. They certainly were much improved against a not-as-good Wichita South team last week. So the gang green defense needs a little bit more gang and a little less green. But for that offense to come back against a quality program like Wichita Northwest says a lot for what this Bishop Carroll team could be this year. Huge win for the Golden Eagles against Northwest in Week 1. Yeah, it was a big comeback. I mean, you know, I saw the score at halftime, and I saw the lead that Northwest and It was a big to. lead for Northwest. Yeah, and You're like, like, man, wow. like, uh, what is going on with Carroll? Like, where are they at? Did they forget to get off the bus? Like, <laughs> are they still in the offseason? What's going on? And they stormed back. They got that victory. I'm sure it left a pretty bad taste in the mouth of Steve Martin oh, and Northwest. And I feel bad for Wichita Heights because last week, Northwest absolutely put it on Heights. 52 to 6. Clearly, they were pissed off and uh, they wanted to take it out a little bit on heights. So, your Wichita whip around story, Tommy, what do you got this week? Yeah, so I'm going to stay in high school football. Sure. Um, because I feel like the other notable storyline in week one, week two of the high school football season, the Derby Panthers losing in week one. Uh, shocking. Massive. And, and, you know, especially what Brandon Clark has built, that culture down there in Derby. They, Is that uh, his they took first a loss. week one loss? I don't know. He, he I mean, can't possibly have many. Sure. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the case I at all. I thought I read that. Um, yeah. So they they lost in uh, week number one. I'm looking for that score. Uh, you don't happen to have that score pulled I up. I don't have Oh, yeah. Derby. Uh, they play Manhattan. So they lost oh, to Manhattan yeah, they did. in overtime. 26-23 in week one. Uh, and they came back. Again, I kind of felt bad for Salina South because Derby was looking <laughs> for revenge. They defeated Salina South in week two, 69-20 to get oh. things back on track uh, for Derby. So felt bad for them on that. And then going back to the City League briefly, uh, you mentioned what happened with Bishop Carroll and Northwest. It would not surprise me if the battle for the City League ultimately comes down to the Holy War oh, yeah. at Riverfront Stadium because Capen has looked pretty good they in have. their first couple of weeks this season, too. And so, you know, obviously we see what Bishop Carroll can do. We know what Weston Sharts has built at Capen over the last couple of years. I think the I think the City League title rests at the Holy War. And I, I checked my schedule, my calendar, by the way, Tommy. I uh, think that uh, that Friday, I think, I, I think we are a go for Riverfront Stadium Holy right. War. I think we are a go, so that that's the plan. We're we're going to go to that game at Riverfront Stadium. I think that should be really fun. I'm interested to see what kind of a crowd they're going to get. The all-time attendance is 7,710, I think, at Riverfront Stadium. 
I only know because I was there for that game. So I had the distinct honor. I think we talked about it on the show, actually. Uh, I was doing the PA for the first no-hitter in the history of the oh, Wichita wow. Wind okay. Surge. Um, and the stadium was packed. I'm interested to see what it will be like for that football game. Obviously, the fans, the amount of fans that will have interest in that game will be a lot lower than, you know, every, because you'll have all the City League fans, all of your Andovers, your Goddards, all those sure. people will be at their own sites. But, you know, there is a huge Catholic community here, and you can bet that everybody in green and gold and everybody wearing blue and white or blue and silver is going to be at that game. It's going to be a very, very, very special ball game. So I am excited to go and see that with you here in a couple of weeks. Let's hit our last segment here. Anything we got to clean up with our additions, corrections, and retractions, Tommy? Yeah, I do have an addition that, you know, I think it would have went well in the Wichita whip around, but we were on a roll with the high school football. We were. We'll put it in this segment, the Wichita Wind Surge. You mentioned them a couple minutes ago. For the second straight season, we'll be competing in the postseason. They clinched the second-half Texas League North Division title on Sunday afternoon, taking down Northwest Arkansas in the regular season finale at Riverfront Stadium. They're on the road this week. That's their final series of the year. And then uh, all the playoff details will be revealed and who their opponents will be and what that will all look like. But uh, congratulations to the Wind Surge. Hopefully they will get a champion this year fell just short you last know, season i actually take that back it looks like playoff details have already been set as i'm reading this article that came out yesterday they will play a best of three division series against tulsa at riverfront wow. stadium on september 20th tulsa will host game two and game three if necessary uh later that week so it looks like at so it's least a best of three series best of three and, and the Wichita gets- will get game one that's kind of that's pretty lame for the the you know the the second half champions and your reward is well you get one game out of three but you get the opening game you do you get, get the game opening one. game man you lose that game though that's a that's pressure to have to go on the road and win the last two um, I do have one addition shocker volleyball is four and five after a two and one start losses to UNLV and Kansas and Northern Illinois that's probably the one that coach Lamb wishes he had back they were sweat they did sweep at UMKC they've got the Dayton Invitational this weekend. KU Volleyball started 8-0. The number 19 Jayhawks suffered their first loss of the season to UNLV. So I think the Rebels are a pretty good team. But the Jayhawks, number 19, their first volleyball loss of the season uh, last time out to the Rebels. I do have one more uh, quick addition. Uh, You had asked earlier in the program what the odds were that the Minnesota Vikings would win the NFC Conference Championship. Uh, I found that on DraftKings. Right now, DraftKings has the Vikings as 8-1 to one odds to win the NFC this season. The Buccaneers are the favorites at uh, plus 275. Plus 275. So are they the number, are they the number two favorite? They're the number one favorite in the conference. No, 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 the Vikings. Oh, no, the Vikings are fifth. So the Buccaneers are plus 275. The Packers still are plus 550. The Rams are plus 550. The Eagles are plus 600. They've jumped up quite a bit, and especially with the Cowboys going down. And the Vikings are fifth at plus 800. Man, I would abandon ship on on the freaking Packers right now. (laughs) Abandon ship. I don't care if it's plus. It was also hilarious to me. 
I know we're wrapping up the show. This has nothing to do with Wichita. There are Cowboys fans around. I thought it was really oh. funny that the memes of week pre before the season started of the playoff picture and the Dallas Cowboys have been eliminated actually turned out <laughs> to be true because yeah. the Cowboys are done. It is over for them. So we we talked about it on on Sports Daily sure. uh, t- today and yesterday. Uh, my co-host Jacob Albrock is a Cowboys fan, and oh, so the topic perfect. I know he's the, such the a likable guy. Yeah, the topic of conversation was, and I quote: "Should the Cowboys blow it up?" Like that was the topic <laughs> of conversation, and my answer to that was. What is there to even blow up? Jerry like, Jones. That's it. If you're not going to change Jerry Jones making the decisions, then there's nothing to change. Like, they don't have talent. I mean, I watched that Sunday night game. The only guy worth watching was Micah Parsons on D on defense Their for defense Dallas. played pretty well. Yeah, they played pretty good. I mean, and, and Parsons I mean, there were a lot of drives for Tampa Bay that ended up in th- – I watched that game at, at Bubba's. There were not – I mean, they, they held Tampa Bay consistently to field goals in the mm-hmm. first half. Like, what else do you want your defense to do to Tom Brady, the great one? I'm sorry. Dak Prescott is mediocre at best. Uh, now Ezekiel he's gone Elliott for is garbage who should not re- he will not be back with the Cowboys next year CeeDee Lamb has some talent Michael Gallup has some talent but really they don't have a lot of pieces Mike McCarthy will not be coaching the the Cowboys next season if I'm it's not Jerry really his Jones, fault honestly they're, they're just I'm, not that good well I think Jerry Jones wants Sean Payton so that's what's going to end up happening next year but if I'm Jerry Jones and I, I said this on the show and Jacob ridiculed me for this. So I want to get your take on this. Sure. I'd love to get now that my we take. know now that we know Dak Prescott is going to be out for a while. Sure. Might be four games, might be eight games, who knows? If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm not going to try to give up a bunch of draft picks to go get Jimmy Garoppolo or trade for Mason Rudolph. No. Like I'm not going to do that for a temporary fix. If I'm Jimmy if I'm Jerry Jones, what's the harm in picking up the phone and calling Cam Newton and saying, Cam, you're not doing anything right now. You're sitting on your couch wouldn't it be cool if the Cam Newton brand aligned up with the Dallas Cowboys? I don't know. Who knows? He's a former MVP, though. It's got to be better than trotting Cooper Rush out there to start at quarterback for the next eight games for the Cowboys. At, at the, it sure as hell can't get any worse. It's going to be at least newsworthy. At the, at, at the risk of alerting the woke sports media, do you give Colin Kaepernick a call? Is Colin Kaepernick in shape? I don't know. I mean, he claims to be. He's always showing up with his shirt off and throwing the ball and everybody like, oh, God, I can't believe this guy can't get a job, even though his QBR his last three seasons was in Mitch Trubisky land. Call Colin Kaepernick and Cam Newton and have them both work out for the Cowboys. It'll be newsworthy and it'll lead the topics on all the debate shows. It and sure we'll will. All these, and we're getting nationally televised Cowboys games anyway. That's what the way it always is. Wouldn't the networks rather have Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick oh, start than absolutely. Can you imagine the feeding frenzy if Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick were hired? And sure. can you imagine the jersey sales? If you oh could buy God. a Kaepernick or a Cam Newton Cowboys jersey, that Huge. would be un... The, the, they would sell unbelievable they and, could not keep that jersey in stock kaepernick I'm, I'm, or, I'm or cam out, newton i'm calling out albrocht i mean he was like gagging on the show as i was saying <laughs> that and i'm like it's not a bad idea like what more do the cowboys have to lose it's a dumpster fire anyway and and Might to, as well get some good marketing out of it and to their credit you know like i said i, I pointed out colin kaepernick his last three years his qbr was it was in Mitch Trubisky land, but he had two very, very, very good seasons. He had two great seasons. 
took them to the Super Bowl. Sure. So, I mean, you're, we're not going to talk about his politics. I don't care about his politics. What I want to know is how much do you want to play? Will he accept a reasonable contract to come in and be the stopgap guy, the stopgap guy, and work into it? That's been my always my opinion on Kaepernick as to why he doesn't have a job is because he wants too much money. For you know Cam Newton, it's a little bit different because I feel like he's old, he's banged up. Can he still play? I think is the big question for him. Yeah. You get Colin Kaepernick in there if you can get him at the right price. I mean, he shouldn't have a lot of miles on the tires, you know? He's been resting, still working out supposedly. I, I can see hey, either one. I don't think it's, it's I don't think it's preposterous. I don't think your point is preposterous. I don't it's a lot it's a lot better of an idea than having Cooper Rush or yeah, former West Virginia Mountaineer Will Greer starting for the Cowboys. <laughs> no. I, Come I, on. I would absolutely take Kaepernick or uh, Cam Newton over either of those guys. Yeah, no no question in my mind. Yeah, I, I would make the call today if I was the GM. Uh, that is episode 102 in the books. Appreciate you guys watching uh, and listening, subscribing very, very much. Cogsports.com, Cogpod on Twitter. We will see you in a couple of weeks for episode 103. And by that point, we're going to be in the heart of the football season. We will be in the thick of the Big 12 football season as well. So we will have a couple more games for the Chiefs to talk about and the Big 12 opener for Kansas State. That Kansas State OU game is going to be very, very, very big. Any big picks you're making this week? Any big bets that you've got going this week? Yeah, I've got a, a parlay. I've got to pull it up really quick. I've got a parlay that I uh, I, I got some well, action I'll, on. I'll describe I... mine first then. I don't have okay. any of my parlays set for this week. I did make a whole bunch of bets because I had like $200 worth of free bets on like DraftKings sure. that I had to use by Thursday. So I just plugged them all in. However, I am smashing. I don't remember what it was for the OU Nebraska game this week. I think I got in Oklahoma minus 13 and a half. I am all over the Sooners in that game. No chance. Nebraska is going to keep it within two touchdowns. No way. That's my pick of the week. Oklahoma minus 13 and a half in Lincoln. I want the Sooners. So the one that I have, and I'm still trying to find it here, it's a parlay. And it and part of it, one leg of the parlay is Oklahoma, Nebraska. But I want to say it's, um, I've got it here. So, okay. So everything is over unders on, on this bet. Okay. So it is under uh, the Oklahoma and Nebraska, which is, what was it at? Um Sorry, I didn't look. I, I was under. So, OK, so I got it under uh, the line was 65 and a half. So I got the under on that okay. at Oklahoma, Nebraska, uh, the under with the Washington commanders at Detroit Lions. The line was 49 and a half. I picked the under and the under on the Miami Dolphins and Baltimore Ravens. The line was 43 and a half. So I've got to hit three unders, one in the NFL and one in college. And I've got the parlay uh, on that that I feel. I feel pretty solid about it. It's, it sure. it's going to pay out pretty nicely if I can hit. Yeah, I, that that sounds pretty interesting. I, I I might have to might have to go revisit that KU Houston over. I, yeah. I I think I think we could see sixty points in that game. That I is also our... well, one other quick bet that I have going on right now as we speak. Um, that you know I don't know why I did it. I think it's because I'm an idiot. I've got a single <laughs> a single game parlay going on as we record this the night before. Uh, sure. The 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 Royals are playing the Twins. And I don't know why I'm I don't know why I'm betting on Royals games. I mean, why'd you bet on baseball? Um, but I did. I've got a single game parlay going on right now with the Minnesota Twins on the money line to win, 
Carlos Correa to get a hit and under a half a run scored in the first inning, which has already happened. So I've already hit that leg on it. Oh, so it's a multi-single game parlay. Correct. Yep. I need the Twins to win, and I need Carlos Correa to get a hit. Put 20 bucks on it. It pays out $148 if I can get that to hit. So I haven't bad. looked at that score, but we'll see what happens. So that is our show. That's our bets of the week there here on the Keeper of the Games podcast. So that is our show. Appreciate you guys liking, sharing, subscribing on the show. Really appreciate all the support doing this for you each and every week. A couple of weeks away from getting into the Big 12, and we're going to have a real good idea of where KU is at that point, where Kansas State is, and the Chiefs will have two more games under their belts. We will see you uh, coming up in the end of September on episode 103 of Keeper of the Games. Tommy, if they don't want to follow us at CogPod on Twitter, which I don't know why they wouldn't, how can they follow you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter anytime at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. We will see you next time on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.